Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Hande Hoch, Hande Hoch, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk, the new uh, Germans Are Defeated podcast. Uh, 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 we just want to deliver a World War II spoiler that the Germans lost for some of our um, ardent opponents on social media. No, we're not going to get into this again. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think we should just seriously consider just, just talking about Germans. It seems to be what everyone's interested in. You know, uh, I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, but there's been some. there has been some social media kerfuffle about how um, America is really, really bad um, because they dropped the atom bomb, and you'd like, yeah, but you do know what the, I mean, Waitman, Waitman, dear, dear Waitman got involved in some of this. You do know what the Japanese are up to. It's kind of go. You do know, you yeah. do know, you do know about that, don't you? Yeah. But you know, I mean. Uh, uh, also, you know, to be fair, Oppenheimer and the Americans didn't start it. I mean. Yeah, well, yeah, that, too. <laughs> it's, 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 that the, too. it's the old thing, and it's that a cliche, too. but it's true. Well, and also, there have been people going, oh, you know, I mean, at the sort of fringes of political chat, oh, you know, he's a, it's about a privileged white imperialist male. He's Jewish, right? Jews are literally being industrially slaughtered. Yeah. They, are, they do not have oper operating white privilege at, if, within its own frame of reference at this point, for Christ's sake. Yeah. You know, learn some history. Anyway, um, but if you're, if you're here to learn history, you've come to the wrong place. Jim and I... <laughs> If, if you want war waffle, absolutely we're, we're bang on. A, we're in a vent. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, so, I had, so I had an interesting experience last week because I went up to, the, to, to Rolls-Royce in Derby. Yes. Um, and I went to their, their heritage hall, hangar, whatever they want to call it. And yeah. there, you know, it's fantastic. They've got, you know, as you can imagine, it's, it's just full of engines, basically. But I was there with, um, uh, with, with my mate Roland White, friend of the show. Yeah. And... Um, and we had a, a revelatory moment. Oh no! Here we go. Yeah, no, no. And I kind of wish I knew now what I when I've been writing Big Week really, because this is this. So this relates to the Mustang. Yes. In Fifty one. And so one of the questions I hadn't really kind of thought about was when Ron Harker in October nineteen forty two goes. Do you know what this Mustang would be great? It had with, a Merlin sixty one on it. Yeah. Well, the whole point about about the Mustang was it was designed to power. Uh, to, you know, to, to, it was designed around the Allison engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was what they had. That was yeah. what was powering the yeah. the, the Curtis Hawks, yeah. the Kitty Hawks, and Warhawks, yeah. and all the rest of it. So, so what what Edgar Schmoo, the designer of the Mustang, promised was that he would produce a fighter plane for the Allison engine that would be better than a P forty. Yeah, and he was absolutely right, and he and he, he did, did it. it. But of yeah. course, one of the failings of the P forty was it couldn't operate at height. The reason it couldn't operate at, at, at decent height was it was underpowered in terms of horsepower. Yeah. But the real problem was the supercharger because obviously as you get you get higher, mm. the air gets thinner, so you, so need, you need to, to pump. squeeze the air. Yeah. You need to squeeze, yeah. So that's obviously what the, the what the supercharger does. It had a very sort of it did have a supercharger, but it was a it was a one stage one speed supercharger, so it was right. kind of underpowered, which is why over kind of you know somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand feet, it started to drop off really really badly. Yeah. But Rolls Royce bought Allison. Okay, some years ago. Right. So in the Heritage Hall was an Allison V1710. Right. Which is the engine that yeah. powered the P38 and the Kitty Hawk and the early Mustang. So there it was. Right. 
and we put it alongside a Merlin 12, which obviously was an earlier version of the Merlin than, than the Merlin and it, 61. And what are you going to tell us? It's like half the size. <laughs> no. No, it's bigger. So it's bigger okay, and so, heavier. So, 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 well, it's, it's, it looks very similar to a Merlin. Right. But the actual main engine block is slightly longer right. than the Merlin. And it's got this smaller supercharger. But when you look at the Merlin 12, the main bit is, is I don't know, six, five to six inches shorter, yeah. something like that. Yeah. But it's got a bigger supercharger on it. Right. But just with, a, with someone like Ron Harker, who is a test pilot, he would be able to look at that and go, that'll fit in the cowling of a Mustang. Yeah. That's the point. You don't need to rebuild the, the Mustang because... It's already got the Allison, and if it can fit an Allison, it can certainly fit a Merlin. Right. And that was the revelatory moment, and I thought that was really, really interesting. Well, I mean, I, well, I mean, I feel like we've scales have fallen from my eyes on that one. <laughs> That's a big moment. <laughs> it's a big moment. <laughs> I, I, Understanding engine size. Well, yeah, I, yes, I suppose, because I mean, after all, um, supposedly. Uh, uh, with the Westland Whirlwind, Sholto Douglas suggested sticking a couple of Merlins on that because they they thought they were having problems with the engine. But um, uh, uh, you know, there's a whirlwind. There's a whirlwind restoration occurring. And so the, I hear. There's some very the, the, um, on Hushkit recently. There was a ten super advanced tech things about the Westland Whirlwind for when it was produced and he the bloke writing that talks about it wasn't a problem with the engines what the problem is is um the propellers as they go the propeller blades aerofoils as they go subsonic create too much interference over the aerofoil and 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 it had leading edge um radiators as well right and basically it's not the engines it's the propellers that are going uh just going subsonic and chucking off all sorts of right. um, strange air yeah, yeah. that were the pro- that was the problem for the whirlwind. Huh. Um, and the, the 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 you know the propeller blades they had weren't up to the job because because uh, those have got thinner in uh, okay. uh, since they're great big fat blades and they yeah, chuck yeah. off all this bad air. You know when when you've got the end of the propeller is essentially going supersonic. Yeah. And the middle isn't quite. Yeah. Okay, you got. Um, you, that, that's when you get, get that buffeting, don't you? You get you, all sorts of strange air tossing off the two uh, power plants. And right. you, so you imagine they stick a pair of Merlins on it, yeah. which are much more powerful than the Peregrines. It's the same old, same problems, yeah, same yeah. same issues. Yeah. So it wouldn't have solved anything. But um, it, that, I mean, that is interesting to hear that, Jim, because the the Merlin going on the Mustang is the is the thing that sort of arguably wins the air war over. Germany. Well, yeah, arguably. Uh, but, I mean, but, some, but, would, but, some would say no to that. Some would say that German fighter tactics are superior. <laughs> <laughs> they probably would. They, they probably, probably would. Probably someone's going to. No, but um, but but that 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 idea is one of the sort of key moments in um, in in American pursuit fighter development, isn't it? Well, well it is, and and the point that I just found found really really interesting yeah. was. You would think that sort of changing an engine, you know, engines are they come in all different deal. shapes and sizes. And you think it's a big deal. Plan. And, and yeah. what Ron Harker's saying is this shouldn't be a massive deal because it will fit in the existing yeah. engine cowling. Now, as it turns out, the kind of the Rolls-Royce version of the Mustang is is a slightly changed cowling. And then, and then the Packard Merlins yeah, that they the make Packard, in America yeah. comes out. And that, that's the Mustang that we all know and love. But it's not a big change. They don't have to change the cowling to house the Merlin, and that's and, and because it's shorter, but with a bigger supercharger, well, there's still the space. And, and what it does, though, effectively, fighters are defensive up to this point. Yeah, and it turns the it turns the into Mustang an into an a viable offensive fighter. Yep. 
Um, now, I don't, anyway, suppose, yeah. I don't suppose you're watching World on Fire. I haven't, haven't yet, yeah. Well, um, and go on in. Well. Out of ten. Well, let's just say. You're not allowed to have seven, by the way. Let's just say there's some lads sat around in a sort of, you know, uh, RAF scramble hut. Yeah. And there's a radio. One of them goes on the radio and goes, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're going to bomb Manchester. There's bombers. And I think he said 15 miles away. Let's go, lads. Right, so yeah. it wasn't the phone ringing. It was he was on a radio, like a thing on a on a mantelpiece sort of thing. And then we cut to CGI hurricanes, night fighting. Yeah. They're ambushed by a, an ME one hundred and nine as they're attacking Heinkels. Right, so the it's a night escort. Mm, right? God. And as a hurricane is hit and goes down in flames, I, I'm glad you're sitting down. Yeah. Over the radio goes, eject Stephen, eject. Oh my god! Nineteen forty-one. Okay, so I'm not watching that. Okay, that's that's. I really. That's all I need to know. I really. I, you know, I I I didn't watch the whole episode. I it was Sunday night. I was like, you know, I was doom scrolling through the to the EPG on the telly, thinking, what can I watch? And I thought, oh, I'll put a bit of work, put a bit of world on fire on, put it on. And there's this sort of domestic drama with Mark Bonner and you know, like that. I'm not following. Couldn't tell what was going on. It was clearly a wicked posh woman. Um, and and then and then all oh right great some a bit of fighter action and I turned it off when he went eject eject yeah, Stephen yeah, eject okay I'm not going to watch it at all you mustn't I'm not going to or just spoil it for me and you think how easy is that to get right yeah not yeah. not easy not how easy that to get wrong no how I'd, say easy that's, is I'd that... say that's quite difficult to get wrong exactly I mean bail out Jesus is it is the worry that the modern viewer will not know what bailout means. Well, I, I have this argument it... so much often that, that, that you, you, you treat your audience as idiots at your peril. I mean, if the bottom line is if idiots... someone says bail out, bail out, and then he exiting well, the or, aircraft. Or for Christ's sake, if, get out. It, 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 yeah. Don't even at the to... you, you, would, you would know what that, you would work yeah. that out, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Eject, Stephen. I think eject. most people know what to bail out something yeah. means. Yeah, but but... You know, perhaps they think it's full of water. They're worried they might think it's full of water. They've got to, he's got to empty it with a cup. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I was just, I was, I, I, I could, I, I, I mean, I actually couldn't believe it. And the thing is, is it, it would, it, how hard is, you, you've really got to go out of your way to get that wrong. Yeah. You've got to, you know, surely someone watched the Battle of Britain. Surely someone watched, you know, to, 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 to get, or did they watch, or did they watch the Armstrong and Miller RAF pilots? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, blood. <laughs> to get the lingo. You know you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, just how oh, bizarre. Anyway. That's absolutely, that's absolutely infuriating. I'm really cross about that. What um, are we get, what are we what were we gonna talk about today? Jason? Well, oh, I think man, we should talk about the Jebras. Yes. I think we should talk about the Jebras because they're 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 interesting and we haven't ever done it before. And also, actually I went to um I went to an interesting morning yesterday where they were launching a new game. Oh yeah. Called Classified France 44, and the idea is that they're kind of slightly twisting history just a little bit because they're bringing the Jebras in a little bit pre-D-Day, but that's yep. okay. I, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, and the interesting thing, they've got a moral component, component in it. Really? So, so they have, you know, people, uh, and they also, it's not, a bullet is not just a bullet. It, you know, if they, they're spraying stuff, people either side get hit and, you know, so they do all that kind of stuff. And and basically it is it is Jedbras operating with the Maquis 
Right. And they've got to kind of blow up railways and they've got yeah, to cool. do all this sort of stuff. But you have characters, set characters, and it's yeah. the strategy and operations, and you've got to cool. decide how to build your Mackie force and all that stuff. It looked really, really fantastic, actually. Right. And there's this sense that the kind of, you know, you're being, you know, you're, 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 um, you're being hunted down and, you right. know, that everyone's out to get you and there's, an, you know, you're an army of shadows, but there's an army of shadows trying to get well, you and all this kind of stuff. That's cool. Yeah, it looked, it looked really, really good. But anyway, it made me kind of, you know, so, so, so I was there to give a bit of sort of historical context. So I've been kind of, um, um, sort of reading up on on the Jebras and everything and it's been it's been really really interesting actually really, well, really interesting well i mean the, the uh, and what you've got here though is is the the americans are late to the party aren't they yeah but it, so so the the whole idea of the Jebras is it's it's a combined force of, yeah. of predominantly american and british so the british and the americans were going to put put in kind of 35 teams each yeah um and uh, but also french as well yeah. so the, and and everyone had to be Fluent in it, the the, yeah. the the team. So they're three man teams. Yeah, that's that's the idea. But but and they and the, the the concept behind it is set up really early, much earlier than I thought in 1942, mm-hmm. when 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 um, Cossack first gets yeah comes into being. You know, chief of staff, yeah. supreme allied yeah, commander. Yeah, badged, know, this is Frederick it? Morgan yeah. and stuff. Yeah. The early planning for D Day. Yeah. And an SOE are start, you know, special operations executive, which is you know the British branch of kind of sabotage in the field, and who've been going since 1940. Been going since 1940, uh, and they come up with this idea that wouldn't it be good to drop in teams who can help the resistant movements? They can, they'll have a radio operator be one of them. There'll be a kind of a guy in charge, second in command, and the radio operator, and um, the two officers will be the the commander and the second in command yeah. and the radio operator will be an nco all will be able to speak french but but the the commander and second in command will be fluent and some of them will be french yeah and they'll go in and they'll help organize the um the the, the, the resistance groups give them a little bit of structure help with training help them with directives of targets and things like that and also yeah. be there to coordinate arms drops yeah. Guys on the ground, yeah. radioing back to London, all this kind of thing, and it all seems, you know, a very sensible idea. And then the original idea was that they would then guide them, guide the conventional forces once they got to that area. Yeah. So the idea was that you would drop them no closer than forty miles behind enemy lines, and yeah. you'd identify certain key areas where there are kind of, you know, yeah. comms routes and potential escape routes for the Germans and all this kind of stuff, and you'd get their rear areas. That's the that's the whole yeah. point. This is all part and parcel of the kind of slowing down the Germans getting into the bridgehead yeah. and then slowing their retreat as well. Yeah. That, that's the whole point behind it. And on paper, that all looks a really, really good idea. But one of the problems that the, the, the British have is they don't really have enough aircraft for this, yeah. for this weight of, of supply drops and weight of, of teams that they're going to put in. And, and it grows from, from kind of sort of 70 teams to start off with to kind of best part of 100 by the time they're, yeah. they're all done. So 300 men, effectively. And so the Americans have got more aircraft, so they come in. By this point, it's the OSS, and they create a yeah. thing called SOE, you know, Special Operations, um, which then becomes Special Forces Headquarters Yeah, in May 1944. But it's interesting, isn't it, about the OSS and their development? Well, well they don't have... They don't, the Americans don't have... Um, a strategic intelligence service. At all. No. Uh, because... And, and there's... This is, this is all part of their insular outlook well, in the, between and, the wars. Well, and also this kind of thing, gentlemen don't read each other's mail and all that sort of, um, uh, yeah. uh, which is which is essentially amazing. Especially, again, I mean, this is another thing where you have to, you have to forget 
America as it is now with the CIA and NSA yeah, yeah, yeah. and all and all that sort of stuff. You've just forget about that. They 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 weren't in that business at all. They weren't interested. And, but, but isn't it more that they haven't? I mean, they don't have the IRA to deal with and an Irish well, I problem, so. and they don't and they don't I have the, the I mean, I imagine German spies in nineteen thirteen. Yeah, and, and I suppose well, I suppose also in the Philippines where they do have an empire, they've got they've got informants and they've got an intelligence service that's like dealing yeah. with dealing with that locally. Yeah, but they're not operating on this on this sort of strategic basis. I mean, and and anyway, they're they're. A lot of their sort of uh, cipher practice and everything during you know during the early war is all pretty naive and is, is blown and cracked and all that sort of stuff and the and the the Italians and the Germans are reading everything everything that their embassies are saying and all that sort of stuff. There's, there's all that going on as yeah. well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they're not they're not particularly savvy, um, and they and and they do very much they do very much take their lead from from the British, don't they? The, 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 they really do. They 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 first create the Committee of Information, which is a which is an abject failure. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite sure why it's a failure, but it but it just is. I think it's a, obviously a structural thing, and, yeah. and and they haven't quite worked out what they're trying to do, how they're trying to do it, all the rest of it. But then this evolves into the OSS, the Office of Strategic yeah. Services, under Bill Donovan, Wild Bill Donovan, who's a First World War veteran. He's uh, a great personal friend of of um, of, of Roosevelt, the president. Yeah. Um, he's an adventurer. He's he's dashing, charming. Yeah. Got twinkly blue eyes, all that kind of stuff. Square jaw. He's uh, and by all accounts, he's a he's a remarkable character and and brilliant at what he does and and very clever as well. And he if he wants a strategic intelligence service like MI6, like the yeah. secret intelligence service that Britain has, but he also wants it to be like SOE. Yeah. So a sabotage. Yeah. But capable of doing sabotage operations, but what he doesn't want is lots of disparate units. Yeah. He doesn't want MI6 and MI9 and MI11 and MI5 and SOE and now, F that, section. Or is that, he just wants one. Is that because he wants to run it all, or because he can see the inherent tensions? I think British it's a suffering. bit of both. Yeah, because the British really do have enormous problems with competing organisations and and prioritising what's going on and everyone treading on each other's toes and, you know, overlapping one another and being often being sort of counterproductive with one another, all that sort of stuff. So he's he's keen. He's he's keen on I suppose if you were starting from scratch, you probably wouldn't you that's probably what you'd do, isn't it? Is have a is have the one thing. Because after all, naval intelligence is the sort of it's the core of the british intelligence effort but then you've also there's also the foreign office there's then soe that sort of springs 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 fully formed from churchill's forehead as it were in in uh, uh and, and i've often wondered about that is, is is he doing that to create a separate fiefdom that owes owes its uh, existence to him or does he think no, that sis aren't up to it no or is he just thinking that the, the you know Private armies are a way to because it's essentially a private army. You know, you, you you know what I mean. What what's the genesis of that of that? Because um, uh, there has been before he writes his SOE memo, there has been discussion of what to do. Um, in early 1940, there is there are people talking about what to do, and he sort of follows. In there's an argument that he's just following up on it. That is not his idea. He's drawing in things he's seen being talked about and goes, okay, let's let's do that. I mean, well, and you've also got Dudley Clark suggesting exactly, commandos exactly, and all the rest exactly, of it, exactly. Emerging out of the yeah, and all these people, and obviously all these people in his ear going, here's a bright idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, you've got the in November of '39. I mean, and and it sort of points to the. This is around the same time as well as the BEF. Uh, can't tie shoelaces that you've got the Venlo incident where um, 
two SIS guys fight. They're five meters from the German border, yeah. and they're picked and they're picked up. Um, uh, uh, that's it. They're, they're they're captured and they they are still in German captivity in May 1945. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, so yeah. so you know, MI6 SIS, their reputation isn't great. To be fair, no. and, and and it's you know it's it's another area of the armed forces that's been allowed to kind of drift a little bit in the interwar period. Yeah. So there's not a huge amount of confidence work, but but the whole point about about SOE is not to go around being secret agents. It's to go and sabotage. Yeah. That's the point, and that's also the point of the of, of the commandos. And what Churchill wants is he wants people going in, you know, helping to kind of foster resistance, stoke up the flames of resistance. Yeah. Uh, um, go and sabotage stuff, set Europe ablaze, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And and he wants to do that because he doesn't want to get complacent. He doesn't want to be dormant. He he wants to well, take wants, the the fight to the enemy and, and watch it, it going. He and he, he can't wants, because he hasn't got an army. He wants news. He and wants he wants good, news. He wants good news, and he wants to look look. Look like they're still well, in the was, fight. Yes, absolutely. Like yeah. they're still, they're, like got skin in the game. That they're doing stuff. That they're not just sitting back and sort of going, okay, well, yeah. we'll, we'll re-enter the war in 1946 well, when we've got enough because, tanks. Because after all, September 39 to April 1940. That's exactly apart from at sea. That's what the British have been doing. They've been twiddling their thumbs, hoping that something will come up, expecting Germany to fall in on itself. Yes, and he's just been, you know, um, um, for, you know, he's he's been at the Admiralty, so he hasn't been able to kind of play in the make play in the same way. And yeah. no one listened to him in September when he was suggesting mining the Lees or going into yeah. northern Norway, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So, so. You know, it's not until he's prime minister and Dunkirk has happened and the army has retreated back across the channel and, and sort of licking its wounds that that he's thinking, OK, so what can we do? You know, we've got this huge navy. Mm. We, we've got a burgeoning air force. We've we've got forces around the world. Yep. But, but you know, we've got to do something now. We can't just sit back and, and let the let it be easy, easy pickings for the, for the Germans. And of course, yeah. you know, in the background is are the troubles that you know the problems of Ireland the IRA or well, the fighting you know so there's experience there right? well, and colonial policing and and you know they yeah. know how that you know the, the, they're not going into completely cold but they but they've let things slip well over which the is interwars. why which is why it's I mean it's fascinating that Colin Gubbins who's who's given the job by Hugh Dalton um of running SOE who's the minister of uh, well and his labor yeah so so it's interesting because there's an there is an argument that SOE is sort of in the labor fiefdom yeah um uh, in terms of uh, how the government's being run Gubbins characterized I mean I think it's really interesting this is how he sums up his time in Ireland being shot at from behind hedges by men in trilbies and mackintoshes and not allowed to shoot back Right. Yes. So he uh, and he rates Michael Collins as the, the guerrilla soldier par excellence. Yeah. So he brings with him, aside from, you know, very gallant First World War career as a gunner. Um, and then sort of, again, Ireland chiefly. And then, you know, in, in, interwar imperial stuff where he's uh, and by the time the by the time uh, France has fallen, he's basically up for a divisional command, but doesn't take it. He's, you know, it, He's bringing to bear his expertise as a as a as a as a counterinsurgent to how to be an insurgent. Yeah, and and that what they're trying to do. I mean, as you say, what they're trying to do is sort of start an insurgency. Yeah, yeah, as as much as anything else. But 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 it's interesting because I think in our mind's eye, when we're thinking about SOE, we think, we we immediately think of France. Yeah, uh, we immediately think of of sort of you know Violet Zabo and yeah, and, yeah. and you know Nora Nyet Khan and and the and the the, and the 32 female agents yep. that went across and all the rest yep. of it. Um, and we're thinking spying and radios and yeah. clandestine operations. 
yes, but there's more MI6 agents in France than there are SOE. Yes. Uh, and, and they are secret agents. Yeah. That's what they're doing. They're doing exactly that. They're doing, that. Es- they're doing they're espionage. espionage. Yeah. Whereas what these guys are over there to do is... is, is start, try, start an insurgency. Start an yeah. insurgency and, yeah. and, and sabotage and all the rest of it. So so we have to be kind of careful about how we view SOE and, and, and not get confused about what its role is. And actually, the Jedbras is exactly what SOE is about. Yeah. It's just it takes some time to kind of work out. And it's not until they've got the... They've got the excuse of the of the invasion that actually SOE really sort of in a way comes into its own. And that's not to say that all those various SOE circuits that have been in existence beforehand haven't been useful or haven't achieved anything. I, I you know, I'm, I'm not in that camp at all that, that thinks it's a complete waste of time. I'm just, just, well, it, it's, well, that's a, to, to, before, we'll go to break in a second, but to give an analogy, right, yeah. is two years of Bomber Command before 1943. That's a really good analogy. They're figuring it I out. I love that. They haven't got the technology. They yep. haven't worked out the training. Right. They know what they know roughly what they want their role to be. Yeah. Um, but they don't know actually how to pull it off. Yep. And and but this like, the like point is this so stuff much, is all new. But it, yes, exactly. The same way the strategic bombing campaign is all new. Yep. Like so much stuff with the Allies is late. It is mid forty three. The effects of learning, figuring out. Tr- the training that comes from that, yep. and the technology that is available, um, they all start to they all start they all start to coincide. The yep. sine waves, as it were, all coincide, and they start to all be in tune with each other. We're going to take a very very quick break, and then we'll come back to more Jedbra. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Caddy Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways to Make You Talk. Um, uh, we're talking about Jedbra and the 
coinciding waves of uh, yeah well uh, i think i think it's really interesting because because so much of the of the um invasion planning that the work that the soe is going to do the embryonic thoughts about the Jebras, I suppose, comes in 1942. You know, in 1942, that is the year where where Jean Moulin is back in France, is yep. trying to co- desperately trying to kind of coordinate all these disparate yep. resistant forces, most of which yep. are political, most of which have had absolutely zero training whatsoever in any kind of um, sabotage operations. They're literally making it up as they go along. Yep. You know, the, the, the colander has many, many holes in it, etc., yep. etc. So at this very, very early stage, and, and where SOE operations and circuits that are being developed are very much in their kind of infancy at this stage in september 1942 that's when the oss which has already been formed joins forces with the soe london group to create the combined office known as soe forward slash so special operations at baker street which is obviously famously the, the the soe headquarters and they've all SOE has already outlined its future roles once the invasion happens. Yeah. This idea of sort of helping to harness yeah. uh, resistance groups, etc. Um, to which OSS and Bill Donovan are completely kind of go, yeah, great, yeah, we're, we're in on this, you know. And and from Bill Donovan's point of view, that's a very clean role. There's no kind of murkiness about it. We know what yeah. we're going to do. Well, to the point where they're uniformed. Yeah, and that I mean, that I, is agreed I, I, in December 1942. But, but the, isn't that interesting? Because that is a direct reflection of the yep. fact that you're 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 saying you're you're not spies if you're running around in uniform, and obviously it means you can't be shot as spies and yep. you know all that all that sort of murk, murkiness that has gone yep. before. I think I think it's just so interesting. Yeah, the uni- uniforms are agreed at that point because it's saying this is a military effort as much as anything else isn't it yep. and also it's a visible sign of uh effort and yep. presence isn't it yep and they agree also at that time that that one of the two officers should be from the country to which they're yeah. being deployed yeah. which means that basically of the you know teams of three that are going in a third going into france will be french themselves which i think is it's also that's a lesson learned because yeah. one of the big problems of course of these circuits is that you've got lots of english people yeah. even if they've got immaculate french they're still running around with no french connections yeah. you know they don't have a network of second cousins yeah. and yeah. you know family ties and, and local village ties and all the rest of it yeah. that they can call upon so yeah. you know that's one of the big problems um, it, in sicily is there there's not a jed breath in sicily i mean there's not a jed breath i mean there's that no. fabulous stuff of obviously Corvo, going yeah, 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 yeah. That's just, just, just absolutely it's just, hopeless. It's a brilliant story that though. Just, books, yeah. in, well, books. Well, well, I just, I never. I, I mean, Max Corvo. I mean, for, for, for those who who didn't <laughs> listen to that episode or haven't read <laughs> Sicily Forty Three, uh, uh, basically, this guy comes in and he, and he what he doesn't want to do is have anything to do with the mafia. No, no, no. Yeah. And all his, all the guys above him in OSS go, "You sure about that?" Yeah. Go, no, 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 no. But what I need to do is I need to harness local guys. And I go, "Okay, fine. You you, you do that." Every obstacle in his way. Every yeah. obstacle that could possibly put in his way is, yeah, and and he achieves absolutely zero. Yeah. The amazing thing is that he goes on to have quite a long career in the OSS and then subsequently the CIA, right? And when he eventually writes his memoirs, he still doesn't twig. But so basically, there was a big block on him. <laughs> just, and it's absolutely blindingly obvious when yeah. you read his memoir. Anyway, that's anyway, a by the by. So, yeah. so 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 the, the the progress of it is is actually that uh, they're then signed off in the summer of 1943 as yeah. as, as Cossack is is really coming into force and. Because um, I think that starts in March, doesn't it? March 1943 yeah. is when they they, yeah. they kick off with that, and um, Frederick Morgan gets the role as Cossack, her chief of staff, the yeah. Supreme Allied Commander. And, I mean, that's and, a good acronym. It's a great. It's a great I mean, they Cossack. every now and again, Shafe is an all right acronym. Yeah, Cossack, but Cossack's like the why? Why would you ditch that? Yeah, 
I mean, that's like... Does it matter what it means? Doesn't matter what it means. And if yeah. you, you know, if you can actually get a kicking an, uh, uh, acronym yeah. out of a, yeah, yeah, out yeah, of a yeah, title, yeah, yeah. you should grab it with both hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. It's worked for KFC. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, no, you know, NATO. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Or, NATO's or, or Cossacks. The Cossacks, Cossacks the best, though, isn't it? Chef's kiss, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so, so uh, on the 19th of July, 1943, mm. um, Morgan approves Gubbins' plans for the Jedbras. He's already gone to the kind of the code people yeah. and said, you know, the code name people and said, can you give us an operational name for this yeah. plan? And they've come up with Jedbra. Yeah. So that that's what it is. It's, it's Everyone's always trying to find reasons why things are called what they're called. Usually there's no reason whatsoever. There's just a name yeah, of operations great. and they've just randomly yeah. gone through it. And yeah. that's the one they plucked. So that's why they're called Jedbras. And um, uh, and then on the 21st of July, so... so um, uh, three days later, uh, two days later, rather, um, the British Chiefs of Staff approve it. And the US Chiefs of Staff approve it again on the 24th of July. And immediately at that point, it's agreed that there's going to be enough men for 35 teams each plus 15 reserves. So yeah. 300 men in all. Yeah. They go, OK, right, well, we'd better form these Jebras then because they don't mm. exist at yeah. this point. Yeah. So so it's now the summer of 1943 and they've agreed that they're going to have to get them all ready by, you know, have them all in place by by December 1943. Yeah. And they do. And uh, it's interesting how they, uh, they, they also kind of decide that what they're going to do is, is they're going to have these teams. There's going to be a special forces detachment for each army and army yeah. group headquarters so yeah. that they can coordinate the operations in the field. And, and <laughs> it's an extraordinary number. It's like 12 officers and 20 men per army and army group. Like, what are they doing? And the weird thing is, is they're not in direct, they're never going to be in direct contact with the Jedbras in the field. Well, this is this. this so this all is... they're doing is they're liaising with, with special forces headquarters in London, which begs the question, why don't special forces headquarters in London just, Deal direct with the army. Why but do you the, need all these staff but, officers? But the, it, it is peculiar, isn't it? Because it feels it feels like a sort of a tier of management that this, you just don't need. That you don't need. I mean, how are they? Right? What are we talking? Captains, majors, yeah, uh, that kind of stuff. And so, who are they? Excuse me, sir. Can I just keep you informed about what's happening to our Jebras sixty miles away? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, you're <laughs> I mean, in Monty's Tack HQ well, or Dempsey. Are you gonna care? Yeah. You just want to know what you know whether the road kind of east of Con is clear. For you to yes, use, don't you? Yes, and, and you're not going to have lots of commie Frenchmen you, running around with Brent guns. That's what. Yeah. You well, and uh, well, and also you're worried about fuel and ammunition and morale and uh, yeah. the state of that division and how did how was its last mauling? And yeah. And whether a three man Jedbra team sixty miles away is actually <laughs> going to be of any value to you whatsoever, I would I would suggest yes, to an army commander and, 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 is. Well, and you're on the phone to Bomber Command saying, "Could you could you flatten that city for me? <laughs> Aren't you? You're, you're, you've yeah. probably probably got big bigger fish to fry." Which isn't to say that what the Jebra's doing is ineffective, but it's actually actually how you how and why you possibly you know because surely any disruption behind the lines is good. Yes and no. I mean, it's it's it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because what they whilst the Jebras are being set up, yeah, it's not. Like, that's the only show in town. No, exactly. You know, there are other special forces. There's what to do with the SAS. They're kind of sort of working their yeah. way around that. You know, so they're going to be deployed. That's a yeah. big part of it. SAS has grown massively. It's a brigade. By it's a brigade. Point. There's yeah. a whole French section of SAS, yeah. which yeah. are going to go into Brittany. Yeah. But they're also going to send Jedbras into Brittany. Yeah. You know, you've got that. But but you've also got the... You, you, what you want is, is for your resistant movement, this resistant movement that's going to... Rise forth and rise, yep. you know, on the on the sixth of June, nineteen forty four, the same day as D Day. Mm. You want them to 
to assist, not get in the way. Well, so you need to work out what your main lines of communication are, and, th- and they are going to augment the work of the air forces. They're going yeah. to help slow down um, the, the German ability to reinforce the, the Normandy bridgehead. What you don't want, though, as you're breaking out of that bridgehead when that time happens, is you don't want lots of Lone. ill-trained people running around with Sten guns. Well, and all the and, getting and, in the way, and obviously you want some of the some bridges blown. But not necessarily but not all, all of them. them. We haven't talked about the French yet. Yeah. So and De Gaulle so, and, and, and right. because because when we've talked when we've talked about um, resistance in France, it's always this sort of it, it, it's a you know it's a, it's crazy paving, isn't it? In, yeah. in terms of who's doing what, who's loyal to whom, how you actually bring people under the yeah. under the umbrella for the great betrayal of Moulin. Half the time, it's like the Allies are wearing oven gloves when they're handling him because they don't want to get burned. Um, uh, and and they're holding and they're holding him at arm's length. Well, you know. So what do you, you know? Where does where does this fit? So who who are the Frenchmen they're rec- recruiting for this? Where well, there's they, been this big showdown, hasn't from? there? There's been yeah. this showdown between being Henri Giraud, yeah. who's originally earmarked by the Allies to be the kind of numero yeah. uno, yeah, yeah. And, and he loses out to to De Gaulle. Yeah. In the summer of 1943, the British get completely behind the Committee of National Liberation, yeah. the CLN, uh, which is then subsequently backed by the Americans, albeit very reluctantly. Yeah. You know, and Roosevelt big thing is what he doesn't want is another right-wing prima donna kind of eventually yeah. ending up in a post-war dictatorship in France. Yeah. Yeah. That's not what they're liberating France for. They're no. liberating them so they can choose although, their own leader. Although the Americans have form in having tried to strike deals with Vichy. So so yeah. American for, uh, basically American foreign policy regarding France, the different France's on yeah. offer, is is kind of all over the place. Yes. Yeah, go on. So 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 you've got that at place. So, so De Gaulle is being held at slightly arm's length and for most of the time he's in Algiers. Yeah. Allied forces headquarters in in Algiers rather than in London. But in London there are, there are great efforts to kind of still coordinate stuff and S, there is SOE RF section yep. which is 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 SOE sending in agents into France but they're French agents only and they are immediately answerable to the BCRA, which is a Bureau yeah. Central de Renseignement et l'Action. Bureau Central de Renseignement de l'Action. Yeah, you're really good at that. <laughs> All right. Oh, it's just it's just a pity it's <laughs> no, not. No, 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 it's, it's very good. It's a pity it's and not actually, German. No, actually, I, I, I heard you doing an advert the other day and you were, you were doing some, um, uh, yeah, you were doing some wines. Yeah. And you did them. Your accents are very strong in that. Yeah, well, you, you you know you feel you kind of got it. I mean, if yeah, they're yeah, anyway. they're so, Australian wines, I'd say Jacobs Craig, just, just yeah, yeah, the same yeah, way okay, as I'd yeah, say, yeah. you know, Wolf Blast, Wolf Blast, a delicious <laughs> glass of Wolf Blast to go with your Ashes Victory <laughs> bastards. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But basically, the the uh, okay, I've learned an important lesson just the last minute, which is anytime something's in foreign language, yeah, I'll do you're it. the man. Okay, that's your role. <laughs> uh, okay, so so the BCRA, they're they're the kind of you know they're the, they're the kind of SIS of the Free French, yeah. the stroke CLN and. And it does get very confusing because, the, the, in fact, actually, let's just call them the Free French at the moment. They're not yeah. Free French anymore, yeah, no, but we all know, know what we're talking know, about, just yeah. for ease of yeah, yeah, yeah. understanding. Yeah. So, <laughs> but they're known for being a little bit leaky, and well, that's and one way of putting it. It's one way of putting it. I mean, you know, it's the it's the, there's a there's track record of having safari suits made on Savile Row and all that sort of all stuff. that sort of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but ultimately. The French have sort of got to toe the line because the, the the carrot is you don't play the line, we don't send you any arms. Yeah, you know, and that's a pretty strong one. And so they're very keen to kind of get the the French resistance into some kind of you know that's the whole that's what what Jean Moulin's been trying to do in 1942-43 is is coordinate it into into yeah. one, and that finally sees a, sees 
a kind of much more coordinated fruit. So there was the secret army, which is originally set up by yeah. by, by Mulan in, in kind of spring of 1943. Yeah. But but the, the secret army becomes, in March 1944, the FFI, which yeah. is... Les forces françaises de l'intérieur. Exactly. The French forces of the interior. Which includes the front tireur et partisan. Yeah, so the front tireur et partisan, um, they are kind of very left-wing, big, strong commie bit. You see, you see this is the one of the things I think is really interesting, isn't it? Because, I think it's really interesting. Well, because after all, if you're, if you're French communists, you can't get weapons from the Soviets. No. So you are... You've got to go to the capitalist you've West. You've got to go to the capitalist West. So obviously... There's, there's tons of track, you know, and, and, and Stalin has track record on this. That what you do is you use the capitalists to get what you want. You know, that's how they see using yep. getting American industrialists in in the interwar years to yep. to, to industrialize the Soviet Union. It's a long game. It's a long game, and we're using capitalism against itself. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because there is a reluctance on the British side to, to treat with the communists and deal deal with the communists. Yep. But in the end, they have to. And, and and it's this fascinating dynamic that the communists come begging but have to be accommodated because they're such a, a big and powerful force. There's also the consideration of what the Soviets might make of it further down the track. I think it's really, really interesting that you do have... Because if you don't accommodate the communists, if you don't arm the communists, what are they going to do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the interesting thing about, about the FTP, the, the Franck Tireur et Partisan. Franck Tireur et Partisan. Et Partisan. Um, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Is that obviously they're, they're, they're left wing commie, whereas yeah. De Gaulle is is very overtly right wing. He's yes, very, yes, much he's not. very much not. And this was the big point that you know this is where Jean Moulin is so important because Jean Moulin goes, listen, guys, we'll sort that later. Sort that out later. Let's let's fight for a common goal. Putain, mes amis, all that. Um, and and he it. he goes, look, I'm like I'm left wing, you know, I'm left leaning, but yeah. I'm I'm backing De Gaulle because he's the he's the, the only viable one. Yeah. Uh, and we have yeah, yeah. to do this. So he, that's why he's such an important unifying power. He's much more unifying than de Gaulle is. Yeah. Um, and also de Gaulle is absent. You know, he's not yeah, in yeah, France, yeah, whereas yeah. Jean Moulin is. Yeah. So, th so that's why he's so important. But but they do create the FFI, um, which is nominally under uh, General Pierre Koenig. And Koenig is is the kind of, you know, the, um, um, the hero of Bir Hakim. Yeah, yeah. At the yeah. bottom of the Ghazala line. He's, you know, yeah. he's the commander of the Free French. He's badass. He's, he's a badass. real he's, soldier. He's also a massive Julio. Yeah. Uh, um, but but anyway, he's but 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 so <laughs> he's. Who, hang on, for those who don't don't know what you might mean by that, Jim, explain. He's a bit of a ladies' man, right? Okay, there we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> massive ladies' man. <laughs> Are there scores of Koenig bastards spread across. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Probablement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> Le petit garçon, <laughs> etc., etc. Anyway, um, so so he's put in charge, but obviously he's not really in charge. I mean, no. you know, he's a, he's a, he's very much a figurehead yeah. operating from London, going nowhere near France, and and it, underneath him are Americans and British who yeah. are are pulling all the kind of purse strings and yeah. and dangling the 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 supply canisters yeah, yeah. and all, all the rest of it. But but the interesting thing also is is that inevitably. <laughs> There's partisans and partisans. There's resistors and there's resistors. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and and the, the you know the FTP the, the <laughs> Franck Tireur et partisans. You know they are not exclusively but predominantly urban. Yeah. You know so these are big city types. This is where you get the most politically minded. Yeah, yeah. Things. Whereas you know what we're talking about the Maquis is we're talking about people who've run away to the hills after the the yeah. the, 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 the 
um, the levy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In June 1942, which is where Pierre Laval, who is the French fishy prime minister, announces well, that all able-bodied men have got to go and work in Germany. Well, and and rural France is eno- the French interior is enormous. It's absolutely enormous, and 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 dispersed, and uh, uh, you know, the, 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 it's no it's no joke. The idea of policing rural France. Yeah, forget it. Forget it. Yeah, yeah. So 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 Mackie just. Uh, for the most part, they're easy. They're you know they're impressionable yeah. young men, yeah. but they're young men, and and sometimes they have political motivations. Sometimes they don't. Hmm. Sometimes they're just scared. Sometimes yeah. they're just you know. Sometimes they're gung ho. So they're a real mixed bag. But but they're growing, and they have been growing since the summer of nineteen forty forty two. Yeah. But they're definitely growing a little bit more with the prospect of of imminent German defeat. Well, and- although, although. It is interesting to know that the milice, which is a sort of paramilitary is civilian... Is also growing. Or, is also growing. It, it, to the extent that it, there are many more, or, or substantially, significantly more, I should say, not many more, but significantly more milice in the first six months of 1944 than there are Makizar. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you. I mean, the other thing you get is is once the invasion starts, um, to just trip slightly ahead, is you get lots of people turning up in their um, poilu blue uniforms saying, right, okay... Where do you uh, want me? Where, where do you want me? We're back on, are we? <laughs> and uh, and and the resistance, the blowing resistance, down the, going, blowing down the, and basically the the pros in the resistance. <laughs> oh Christ! Now what? Yeah. And uh, uh, um, and it being it being a proper an actual problem for them. Yeah. And and lots of people getting themselves killed because they just have no idea, um, of what of what they're doing. Um. Uh, anyway. So so so, anyway. so, the idea is that on the sixth of June there is a there is a national kind of rising up yeah. of the resistance movement. And there are these different different colour-coded yeah. levels of, of, you know, there's purple and green and, yeah. and what have you, where, where you're supposed to do different things like blow up railways and all yeah. the rest of it. But again, that is actually... It is advertised from London that this is going to be a nationwide thing. Yeah, yeah. But actually it isn't. It's incredibly focused. Well, I mean... So, for obvious know. reasons. For, for, well. for precisely the reasons I've already outlined. They don't want lots of resistors kind of running around with sten guns getting in the way so it's very targeted so so where you send in the sas for example is Brittany, it's it's yeah. limoges poitiers it's, yeah. it's east of paris so these are the pinch points from which yeah. troops that where they you know the allies know where all the german mobile yeah. divisions are the panzer divisions yeah. are the whole point is they're there as blocking forces to disrupt the, su- disrupt, the, the slow key down. supply lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not universal. It's not everywhere. Yeah. But they tell all the partisans, all the all the all the different um, Maquis groups, that they're all part of this, yeah. and they're all going to get arms drops. But they have absolutely no intention whatsoever of doing yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so this is where the, the perfidious the... Albion. You know, but all also, that. I mean, core to that is the idea that you can persuade all French people to do the same thing all at once, which is like. Plainly bonkers. Yeah, yeah, herding cats, that's, right? It's impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so the Jedbras are there to play a really key supplementary role. Mm. So they've worked out what are the what are the the key areas where we really, really need to make sure that these these Maki groups don't run amok, that they are yeah. as useful as possible, yeah. and actually might be some real material use. Yeah. So let's work out where that is. So Brittany's an obvious one. Yeah. East of Paris is an obvious one. Yeah. Southeast France is a crucial one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. you've got the Belfort Gap, for example, yeah. which is the area through between the, the, the Jura Mountains and the Swiss Alps. Yeah. 
um, sort of hilly area, kind of southeast France, quite remote. Yep. But lots of Mackies are in the hills there, in the woods, very wooded. That there's absolutely yep. loads of them. Well, you don't want them kind of getting in the way of the American Seventh Army when it's no. steaming up after Dragoon. No. You know, so so they've actually thought about it quite carefully. And you've still got these existing networks that are already there. Yeah. SOE networks that are there. So there's quite a lot of scope for things going wrong. There's quite a lot of moving parts. Yeah. You can quite see that the SAS, who are a law unto themselves, could yeah. quite easily start getting in the way of yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Of, of, of SOE circuits and, yeah. and other stuff if you're not yeah. careful, well. uh, which is why you do need this coordination. Yeah. And you do need the coordination back in London, where you, I would argue you don't need the coordination as Army headquarters. Because by the time the Army reaches there, whatever. reaches a Jedburgh group yeah, yeah, or yeah. the SAS or whatever... Yeah. You know they're no longer relevant. You know they've they've kind of done that bit. But the Jebras. I tell you what, Jim, we're gonna. This is another episode. We're gonna have to. Yeah, we are. Hold that thought, and we're gonna have to come back with more Jebra. Thanks for listening. Um, uh, (laughs) We just can't get enough. We can't fit enough Jebra into one episode. It's a manful attempt to try and squeeze it all into one episode, but it has failed tragically. Um, We will see you again soon with more Jebra.